Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I'm Tara Biggs here with Dan Morang, and we are getting ready to wrap up and put a bow on the gift that was the Trailblazers Blazers 2017 NBA Summer League. And yes, I'm calling it a gift. Now, we're probably going to say it a dozen times. It's only Summer League. Summer League doesn't mean anything. Yeah, we'll get to all that. But before we do, let's just take a minute to appreciate what the team accomplished over these last 10 days. Now, anytime you go to a tournament where you're guaranteed five games and you last for eight, that means that you out-hustled and outworked your opponents. And when that run includes upsetting the number one seed, a rematch and victory over San Antonio, I don't care what version of the Spurs it was, it's always great to beat them. And finally, a championship face-off against the Los Angeles Lakers. That, my friend, is entertainment. Those are all elements of great fun. And yes, I see the Blazers 2017 Summer League as a gift. So yes, it's just Summer League. But this Summer League was funner than I expected. My mother taught me when someone gives you something, you thank them for it. So, before we go deep into the analysis, I just want to say the names of all the guys who are on the roster who contributed to all this fun. So, thank you to Jordan Adams, Markel Brown, Antonius Cleveland, Zach Collins, Pat Connaughton, DeAndre Daniels, Jorge Gutierrez, RJ Hunter, Nick Johnson, Jake Lehman, Josh Scott, Darnell Stokes, and... The man himself, Caleb Swanigan. Thanks, you guys, for an awesome summer league. Yeah, you know, Terry, the summer league, I, the way you look at it, the way you put that as a gift is, is probably about right because with the way we're looking at things right now, it's going to be the last gift that we get for nearly two months. <laughs> so, I mean, you got to look at it with some sort of positive lens because – Right now, I mean, you want to talk about, you know, winter is coming and all your Game of Thrones fans. <laughs> this this is the winter of NBA, man. This this is the brutal time of the year. And it's like, yay, Summer League, awesome. And then you get through Summer League, especially if you're down there and like, oh, God, when will this end? Because this is brutal. For those who've never been to Summer League, I know it sounds like I'm being, you know, off about it. Get down there. It's an absolute blast. You won't regret it. It's, there's just no experience like it in the NBA. But if you're down there Absolutely. in the 120 degree heat and recovering day after day, I mean, it's Las Vegas. There's plenty of things that get yourself into trouble. But, I mean, man, from the first two games, three games, to getting to the championship game, we kind of saw this team grow a ton. And there were some high, some seriously high points from guys like Swanigan and even Jake Lehman. And there were some low points from, you know, guys who got injured and Zach Collins and Pat Conton. But it was a nice little microcosm of, of what a team kind of grows through as they come together, gel, and grow through a series of games. And it was really enjoyable to watch, even though they fell short in the title game, it was really enjoyable to watch these guys just in that short amount of time show quite a bit of growth. I 100% agree. And it was, just, it was just like a roller coaster. It was like this little mini, like up and down, up and down. Cause you know, they won the first game. They came out, they played defense and it was like, what is this? This is awesome. And then they lost, I think the next two games and that third game, the one that was rough. <laughs> they couldn't put the ball in the net to save their lives. And it was just like, Oh my gosh, this is going to be it. But every game that I watched, they, you're right. They learned something. They they took something out of it, and it appears they went and they applied it in the next game. And I don't know if that was – it was probably a combination of the coaching and of the players just will to do good. One of the awesome things about Summer League uh, is watching all those players who are there, like, basically playing for their jobs. And, you know, it's like – it's really fun to see these guys, like, kind of highlighted, guys like Stokes – uh, and Gutierrez, who, you know, really are trying to get noticed whether or not they get on overseas, whether they get picked up by another um, another team or make it to the G League. There's it's a lot of hope around the place. There's a little bit of desperation, which I think manifests itself in those 10 fouls. <laughs> but there's also just like, you know, this this is I could I could do this. I could get noticed. And then there's also, you know, the rookies who are on teams who are like out there showing people this is what you got me for and all of that just combines to make just a 
a really fun little um, little storyline before suddenly all the basketball stops and then it's just nothing until like what I guess we get the NBA Africa game that's in August but that's like the only <laughs> basketball and we do until get, we do get a Blazers participate in that it's been announced that CJ McCollum yeah. is going to participate in that so we I mean yeah you're kind of. <laughs> You're kind of digging deep down that's, the well that's if, the that's, if that's what you're looking for. Um, yeah. Well, you know, it's also the thing about summer league is for, I, I love the, the second, what I call the second season, you know, after the finals, I love that whole time because it really highlights uh, the players as people. And one of the things that we kind of forget is a lot of the guys haven't actually played real, like real games of basketball since like April or, you know, even earlier. Uh, so it's their first time to like get on the court and play actual five-on-five games with each other like games games not just practice yeah and you know what for there was something dave deckard and i talked about in in the recap in one of the games was that as these games went along you kind of hope that that these guys are learning and growing a feel for how to play with each other and how to play within a system and how to play kind of you know for you know however you want to phrase it blazers basketball and Seeing that adaptation come to life in open play was actually something that was really cool. There was a lot of just straight post-ups and very little pick and roll uh, early on. And then you saw guys getting more and more comfortable. You'd see um, Lehman and Swanigan work in a two-man game. You'd see Stokes setting picks to free up Swanigan. Swanigan setting picks to free up Stokes, you know, where they wanted to catch the ball in, in certain places. And you could see them kind of building on that, that confidence and building on a certain play style. And growing and adapting each game, each game adding something new, one more wrinkle, one more change. And to me, that was really the biggest thing to pull out of this was uh, if you're looking at the guys that are going to be on the Blazers roster next year in Swanigan and Lehman, they were able to show that they could grow and adapt. And if, you know, a guy like Lehman was falling short on, you know, hitting shots, he still impacted the game defensively. If Biggie was was getting double teamed, he was finding guys cutting and setting screens and rebounding and being physical. I mean, I've never seen somebody hit the floor more times than Swanigan did in this summer league. Just going after loose hmm. balls, constantly throwing his body. You know, you see that from from a lot of smaller guys. I don't think people realize what it's like when a two hundred sixty pound human being oh. hits the floor six, seven, eight times a game. The amount of energy right. is necessary to do that is absolutely insane. So to see those kind of things manifest as, as the as the summer league progressed was actually really really cool for me. Yeah, I, let's put a little bit of structure around this discussion and kind of go player by player um, for at least for some of the guys who we are pretty sure are going to be on the roster next year. Um, I want to go back to starting off with our draft picks. Um, kind of uh, r- remind you, uh, or re- we can remind each other of what we thought about the draft picks initially, and then I want to find out what you think now you've seen him play a little bit. So on. On draft night, when Zach Collins was picked, people there wasn't a lot of excitement in the room that I was in. Let's just say, <laughs> um, and a lot of but but one of the prevailing opinions that I picked up from people around me, they were like, "Well, Blazers chose Zach Collins. That means Myers Leonard's going to be gone." They thought, "Okay, well they're they're picking the center of the future. Myers is now under threat." Uh, now that you've seen Zach Collins play. How likely is it, do you think, that he's even going to get minutes this year? Let's start with that. Well, let's, let's back this up here just a little bit. I was in the same room as you, and there was nothing but blank stares when Zach Collins was drafted. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was incredible. Like, I don't want to seem like it's a ticket and a shot at him. It's just people were very, very surprised at the pick, and it was just kind of mm-hmm. like, huh? Um, as far as his, is- his play and what he showed, I know a lot of people are saying – yeah, he struggled offensively, but defensively he looked great. He didn't look great. He showed flashes of what could be good eventually, but I saw a lot of reaching. I saw a lot of jumping too early at pump fakes. Does he move his feet well? Yeah. Does he like to challenge shots? Yeah. Those are good things. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I like to see that kind of aggressiveness. But as far as you know, where he is scheme-wise and what he needs to do on the fundamental level, there were still a lot of things that were severely lacking. Uh, I'm not trying to, to, to say he's a bust or this, that. I'm just trying to temper a lot of expectation because I don't think he's going to be a contributor really for a year at the bare minimum. I had somebody on Twitter ask me today, and this was actually a really interesting question. Who gets more minutes this year, Jake Lehman or Zach Collins? 
not 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 Zach Collins or Myers Leonard. It was Jake Lehman. Or yeah. we're talking about the thirteenth, fourteenth guy on the roster. And mm-hmm. I I kind of wanted to poo poo that question, just because it's it's like at first you're like you're kidding me. It's the number, and then I started thinking about it. I'm like, if Ed Davis is healthy, if Myers Leonard's healthy, you know, um, Vonley, Swanigan now. How many mm-hmm. minutes is it really there for Collins unless this is an absolute blow? And people want to, oh, Myers won't touch the floor. I, I, pro- I venture a guess that Stotts trusts Myers exponentially more than Collins right now. And that sure, should kind sure. of give an idea of where Collins, his game and where he sits in the pecking order right now. Did he flash some things? Sure. But, I mean, he was struggling against summer league competition. You can say this, that, and everything you want to about Myers, but – Collins looked lost and he's going to need so he, a lot of seasoning. This is what I, this is what I saw in Zach. He is so young. I mean, he looked barely 19. I mean, he just, uh, you know, it's, it's just, and we talked about this a little bit with, uh, with Brian um, in the last podcast where he talked about just, you know, when his body filled out, Zach's body has not, filled out and he's got a lot of, he, he's still got a lot of growing to do, but just his, his face, he, you, you know, when you, when you're around young people and they, they get tired and you can just see it in their eyes and you can just see that they're, they're getting drained and tired from, you know, trying to be up, up, up. I saw, I felt a lot of that in, in Zach. Um, and I think it's just an age thing as far as what I was, what I was watching on in defense, the best of my abilities, I was trying to figure out if he was in the right place. I definitely saw what you talked about of him falling for pump fake pump fakes. And I would guess that that's like a, a something that's pretty typical with most rookies. Well, They're especially somebody like that. him who's played in the West coast conference who's playing against less athletic, less physically imposing players, you're used to be able to, to dominate. When you're 6'10", 6'11", in high school or a freshman in college, and you're the big dog on the court, it's very easy to impose your will with limited physical skill sets. I mean, mm-hmm. if you've got height and length with even a little bit of athleticism, you can be an imposing player against lesser competition. It's an entirely different, you know, concept when you're going against height and length and the same level of athleticism. These guys are four, five, six, seven years older than you. I mean, the difference between him and a Jarnell Stokes, for example, Mm -hmm. they're vastly different body types. And I don't think Collins is ever going to be a guy who's physically imposing. I don't think he has the frame necessarily to be that guy. But, you know, kind of what, what... Brian was talking about and, and filling out. This isn't a, sh- a shot at Collins. He's still, he's not a boy, but he's a young man. He's he, very young. He, he's not, he doesn't, he doesn't, to kind of put it, you know, in a frame about this, he doesn't have grown man strength. Mm-hmm. When you hit 24, 25, 26, that's when you get that grown man strength. Very rarely do you see any of these guys. Take a look at LeBron. Take a look at LeBron when he came into the league. Hyper athletic. He sure was, he was strong as could be for a guy his age. But look at look at his jersey when he came in the league. It, 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 he wore it like yeah, a dress. It did hang on his frame. I mean, there was, there so wait, was nothing. I, to I got it. a question for you. Hold up, hold up. Do you, uh, you've said a few times talking about athleticism. Can you back up and define a little bit what people throw athleticism around a lot? Like, oh, he's a great athlete, or he doesn't have very good athleticism. What what are we really talking about with athleticism? When we're talking about athleticism, when you're talking about a guy like Collins, there's there's, there's different types of athleticism. With Collins, it's his it's his footwork, it's his ability to flip his hips and move his feet, cover ground fluidly, succinctly. Let's contrast him against Myers. Myers is mm-hmm. incredibly strong. If you've, mm-hmm. if you've ever heard any of his teammates talk about him in practice or anything along those lines, Meyer is – I mean, look at what he does to, to, to Boogie or to Marc Gasol, two of the strongest guys in the entire league. They can't move him. He's a tree trunk. But he doesn't move his feet incredibly well, especially more than 10 feet from the rim. Collins is very, very fluid, very Anthony Davis-like in how his feet okay. move. Now, is he an explosive athlete? No. Does he have a, a good vertical and a good first step? Sure, Absolutely. But then you take a guy like Caleb Swalligan. He's incredibly athletic, and then in, in that sense, I don't mean he's an explosive athlete. I'm saying his footwork, he a lot like Nurkic. 
incredibly balanced, under control. I mean, if you look at Swanigan's foot, footwork in the post, he's always under control. His center of gravity, his balance is always near perfect. You don't see him doing post moves and falling over. Contrast that with a guy like Scott, who was on the summer league roster, who caught the ball on the post a bunch, and you could see him wobble and fall and lean. You know, he gets off balance in his center of gravity. So you've got different types of athleticism, and I think it's good to have these different types of players within a roster because it presents different matchups for different people. Now, mm -hmm. granted, you want to, I mean, you want a guy like a LeBron, who's absolutely one of the strongest guys. Yeah, why can't guys we all league. have one of those? Yeah, I, mean, I mean, is it really asking too much? Can't I have one too? Exactly. Can't we all have one? I mean, you you want to take a look at an athlete in this draft, um, Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson is going to be a complete nightmare matchup physically for teams around the NBA. Incredibly tall, incredibly long, explosive, great first step. He's darn strong for his wiry frame. He kind of reminds me so of tell me like a Sean Marion type. So, you I mean, there's, there's so many different like, – when people say athletic, I think more people associate athleticism with explosive athleticism. You can be a great <laughs> athlete and play below the rim. By explosive, do you mean moves quickly from a standstill? Do you mean jumps high? What do you mean by explosive? Both. That's typically what people associate explosive athlete. They think Russell Westbrook. That's what people mm -hmm. think of when you think of it. And when you say Can somebody's go from athletic, zero to a hundred, exactly zero to one hundred, jump out of the gym and and sky above guys that are six, seven, eight inches taller than you. Excuse me. You don't, you don't necessarily need to have that to be incredibly athletic. I mean, think about what it takes for somebody like Swanigan at 260 pounds to run as hard as he does all game long. That's a heck of an athlete to hit the floor that much, bang bodies. I mean, that's, that's a whole different type of athleticism, but I think the, it, it gets lost because you weren't going to see him jumping up and, and Sean Kemping every single dunk. And that's, I think gets lost in how people look at athleticism, particularly in the NBA. So I can tell you really, really want to talk about Swanigan. <laughs> I want to talk about Zach for, for just, a, just another minute because we didn't get a, a lot of chance to see him in person. Like I said, he looked very young. He also looked coachable. He also looked like he had a little bit of grit to him. Like, um, you know, I know we saw a lot of interviews where afterwards he was really down on himself. That worries me a little bit, but I do think again, he's very young, but on the, um, on the court, when he would make a mistake, he didn't dwell on it. He seemed to just move on. And, um, I kind of appreciated that because it didn't slow him down. He didn't get stuck under the basket mad because he'd, you know, blown some assignment or whatever. I, I liked the fact that he seemed to me to just like stay in the game and keep with it. And I, I, I don't think we're going to see him very much this year, but I think he'll pick up a lot. I think he'll learn a lot in, in practice going up against these guys. And, you know, it's, <laughs> you never know, you know, having a, like we've talked about, talked about before, we had a, a supposed log jam at the beginning of last year. And at the end, we only had one center left. So I don't think you can have too many after seeing him. Did you think of any, um, any uh, more about his position? Cause I always thought that he was drafted as a center, but he's also listed as a center forward. Yeah, I don't do know think? what he's what he's going to play. We don't know enough. I, we I haven't seen enough yet. I don't know. Yeah. He's watching him. I think he's like, it, reminds me of Ed Davis. I, I wouldn't say Ed because Ed's a little more stiff. Ed's a, okay. Ed's a lot stronger. Um, I think that his play style skinny. could be like the well, Remember Ed came in the league out of North Carolina. Remember really skinny, skinny Ed Davis? There was, there yeah, was skinny a, there, Ed Davis. Skinny Ed Davis was a thing, and he was – he was real bouncy too. Then, a um, mm -hmm. couple things on Collins. One, the, the the his his negative reviews of himself post game. I kind of see that as a good thing, as kind of like a reflection. Like, okay, um, this is an adjustment period. These are not West Coast Conference opponents. Like, hey, people can say these guys aren't going to make the league. Blah blah blah. All, all, the vast majority of those guys they're that still are on bigger the floor, than he's been they're playing. bigger, <laughs> faster, stronger, more athletic, more skilled than the vast majority of people he's played against. And these yeah. guys are better than most of the guys that he would have faced in college. These guys are, for the, for the most part, a lot of them are going to play, if not in the G League, D League, whatever you want to call it, they're going to play overseas. 
These uh-huh. are legitimately talented. Play- I mean, R.J. Hunter is going to play somewhere. Darnell uh-huh. Stokes is going to play somewhere. I mean, so when, when you're around those kind of guys, um, I, I think it was kind of a wake-up moment for him. Like, uh-huh. okay, I've got a ways to go. And I, I, I want to kind of touch on an article that was put out there, two articles that were put out there, kind of saying, you know, Collins had a rough time, and he did. Um, mm-hmm. The idea of him going back to Gonzaga, there, I'm kind of torn on that idea. First of all, I'm not going to begrudge anybody for going who's to the, declaring for the draft who's potential lottery pick. That's, that's life-changing money. Go for it. Good for him. Had he gone back to Gonzaga, he probably would have been a player of the year candidate. Mm-hmm. I mean, playing. Yeah, because he wouldn't have been behind. He wouldn't have been behind anybody. Karnowski. Um, he would have been on a NCAA final finals appearance team. He would have been getting a little bit more pub. I mean, playing for Mark Few, he's gonna he's gonna get a little bit better. He's gonna grow, and physically, he's going to grow. But is he gonna grow more playing against the subpar competition? Mm-hmm. And in that conference, and playing twenty five minutes a night and playing college basketball, or is he gonna grow more? playing in practices and, and training camps and scrimmage and learning how to be a pro. There, mm-hmm. There's a process to becoming an NBA player, and learning how to become a pro is, is something that's, that's vastly overlooked. Uh, so getting them in early and, and getting that part of the process kind of going early is a good thing because he can see what it's like. He can be around a guy like Ed Davis who has been around the league for a while. Uh, get around a guy like Damian Lillard who, who knows what it's like to put in the work necessary to come from nowhere to be a superstar. Same with C.J. McCollum. Um, so those things can hey, kind of help him along the way. Who do you think is going to be his big? <sighs> How do those get assigned? Do you have any idea? I, I was think, thinking about that the other day. Well, you know, Myers took him out to dinner. He took him uh-huh. and Swanigan out to dinner. And I think that's, that's, a, that's a, shine, a sign of maturity for, for Leonard. Because I think he mm-hmm. had the same kind of experience with with Chris Kamen. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Nurkic isn't around right now, so um, maybe, maybe that's not. And Nurkic's... I don't think he's ready to have a little. Yes, yeah, he's... he's still young too. <laughs> he, um, he still needs a, a a big himself, you know, yeah. like a guy to. I don't know what is that what they're called. I call them bigs. What do you call it? The guy who's like you know you're the rookie is assigned to. <laughs> I, I mean, you, there's there's probably a lot of names that I can't say on here. <laughs> but um, the the idea that, that Myers can can kind of help guide him through that. I know probably a lot of people will, will kind of gawk, but Myers has been through this. I mm-hmm. mean, Myers. If, if anybody can say, hey. You know, here's where I messed up, or here's where you can learn from from what I did or didn't do. Um, I think that he was the same age when he came in. Same same age, didn't have a ton of experience coming into a team Mm -hmm. that's got um, a little bit more experience. Because remember, let's put this in perspective: Damian Lillard and Myers Leonard are the only two players that have been on this roster since 2012. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nobody else is left. Yeah. So they came into LaMarcus and Wesley and they, they came into in Robin Lopez. They came into mm-hmm. a veteran laden laden team. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, Jared Jeffries. Um, I mean, there was a lot of guys that were on that team that were the the, the wise old sage. So you know they're kind of stepping into that territory, and I think that'll be good for Collins. And same for Swanigan. Swanigan's mm-hmm. going to need that too. And um, for for Collins, you know. I think people need to just kind of back off of him and just let him be the project. I know people don't yeah. want to hear that, but I, I realistically think he's at least a year away from any kind of real contribution. And that's not a bad thing. He's a 19-year-old kid. From, and from what I see, I, I think you're right. And I, like I've said before, I think that he is there for when, if, you know, when and if we lose Ed Davis or anybody um, in the contracts next year, we have him as the next man yeah, up. So really might as well him get him. We're there for, I mean, yeah, might as well up. get him developing, learning the ropes, learning the system, learning the people, you know, get him with the NBA trainers, get him with the nutritionist, get him getting all that attention and get at that a whole year of that before we're really ready to make him uh, step up. Exactly. And that's, that's the, way to develop players if you can allow it and, and this is where you kind of differentiate between um, best fit versus best player available in the draft if Neil O'Shea and his staff think that Zach Collins was the best player available but he wasn't necessarily the best fit right away 
then I get uh-huh. why they made the move to trade up. Because Justin Jackson is, is a much more ready-made player, but he's three, four years older. Uh-huh. So, I mean, you're, it, it all depends on what you're looking at going forward. And with Portland, you've got Nurkic's deal coming up, so you need to get more cheap bigs in there on rookie deals. Ed Davis uh-huh. has a chance to be moved at the trade deadline for you know a, a, a team that's looking to compete and looking to add one more veteran big to their bench, or you know he walks as a free agent. Um, because of the amount of money that's kind of coming in as free agents go, um, Ed's probably not going to sign for five, six million again. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, you, you got to bring those kind of guys in to, to make that transition. So while I wasn't thrilled or really high on the pick, uh, to say the least, I can <laughs> see some of the justification behind it. And while the two and two two games in eleven minutes. Um, didn't exactly wow me or knock me off my socks. Um, he's going to need some time, and I think people just need to just kind of step away. If we've learned anything from from development projects, especially development bigs, just step back. Just step back and just let and them... hold your breath. Yeah, <laughs> wrap just, them in bubble wrap. <laughs> yeah, just hope to God that things work out. That's that's really what I... you just got to do. And if it doesn't, then you know you can criticize this down the line in two years, but. Yeah. Until the kid's 21, 22, I don't think this is something you can sit here and and, and tear to shreds from, from day one. I sat next to um, Steve DeWald from the uh, from Blazers Edge when and we watched the Sacramento Kings play uh, down at Summer League. And so Justin Jackson was playing, yep. and he was the one that they took at number 15. Harry Giles wasn't playing yet. But we did feel obligated every time Justin Jackson got the ball to say, Oh, could have been ours. And sometimes it went in, and sometimes it didn't. We it's, just felt like that trade we were, will be you know, judged. We had to do our part. Yeah, unfairly <laughs> and now it's or not, over. now we can move on. Unfairly or not, that trade will be judged on Justin Jackson, Harry Giles' success against Zach Collins' <laughs> success because those are two yeah. players that were were linked with Portland and uh-huh. were available at those spots. And the same thing with somebody like uh, OG Ananobi. Um, uh-huh. there, there's a couple guys that I know that were rumored to be associated with Portland. And if you moved up to, to take Collins, you know, is this another one of those, you know, Nolan Smith, Kenneth Fareed type deals? Um, hmm. and it, it's not, I, I don't think it's fair to make those kind of, you know, claims or, or along those lines, but I think that ultimately those will be revisited. One it's going to be other. done anyway. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, let's pivot and let's talk about Biggie. My boy. So let's go back. Uh, hold on a a minute. Let's go back to draft night. I listened to some tape about some um, about how you were feeling. I'm not going to say you were not positive about him. You were not down on him, no. really. You weren't like, oh, no, no, no. You said that you liked his footwork, but you were very worried and concerned about his athleticism and about him not being able to make any threes. Those are the two things yep. that I remember uh, you talking about. So now that you've seen him, what do you think? Um, athletically, Again, I was concerned with his footwork defensively. Is he able to move his feet well enough on the perimeter to, to be able to cover anybody? Because at Purdue... You liked him at, on, on offense because you said yes, that he was his, like a ballerina. Yeah, his footwork, and it showed. In summer league, he had the best footwork there among every single player. It hands down the best footwork in the paint, and it shined multiple times. Um, defensively, I, I had a lot of concerns. I did not think mm-hmm. he would be able to move his feet well enough to cover. And in the Lakers game, I don't know if he was tired. He's played a ton of minutes, three games and three nights. He had a couple possessions. Yeah. Um, Kyle Kuzma got a rebound and went end to end and just mm-hmm. ran right by him and got the and one. And that one, that one irked me uh, because that was an effort play that normally he, he's shown to make. And you, you don't normally look at, at Swanigan and think, effort play? What? You gave up on no, that? No, yeah, that is not the play to judge him on. No. So <laughs> that, that, um, that was an outlier. Yeah, and, and and Kuzma did I mean, Kuzma's really kind of a big three uh as opposed to a stretch four. So those kind of matchups will really bother him um night in, night out. But I don't think he'll see that too much. Um I've had a lot of people th- you know say that or ask if he should start or not. I, honestly. I think that position, that four position, is as wide open as any on this roster. The only three positions mm-hmm. to me that are in stone are point guard, shooting guard, and center. Dame, CJ, mm-hmm. Nurk. Everything else is wide open for discussion. I've heard people say, well, Vonley earned it. No, he didn't. 
six points, six, six rebounds, playing alongside Nurkic, catching dump-off passes and, and rebounding on the weak side is not earning that position. I'm sorry. It's just not. If we're settling for that as earning a starting position of the power forward for the Portland Trailblazers, we need to seriously elevate where we're looking at things. I think people are, are, are falling far too easily for mediocrity from, from players, and I think people are getting a little too attached to guys. Don't get me wrong. Vonley played much better down the stretch alongside Nurkic, but we're not talking about a guy who was out there just bawling out of control. I mean, that, that, that needs to be tempered quite a bit. Um, if Swanigan comes in, I think Vonley defensively moves his feet better, but I think Swanigan gives you more energy. I think he gives you more consistent offensive production and his ability to really operate in a pick-and-roll, pick-and-pop um, from the elbows particularly and his ability to pass. His ability to pass was staggering compared to what I thought it would be. He, I, I said this on Twitter, and I know a few people kind of raised some eyebrows. He reminds me of Mark Gasol and how he plays. When he catches the ball on the high and mid post, he is not looking to shoot or put the ball down immediately. He is always looking to pass, looking to find the, to take a good shot into a better shot. There were a few times where he caught on the pick and roll or pick and pop on the elbow, and he had a wide open shot, but he held it for just a kind of a split second to draw the defense towards him to not even give a pump fake, but just kind of look at the rim. And it froze the defense for a split second. R.J. Hunter cut back door. Jake Lehman cut back door. And he threw bounce passes, touch passes, uh, rat passes. I mean, everything you could want, inch-perfect passes as Summer League went on, just hitting guys for, for taking what was a good shot and turning into a great shot. And when you see that, if you put that kind of passing and, and floor spacing alongside Nurkic, who's a phenomenal passer, with Damian and C.J. in the pick and roll, now you've got to worry about Nurkic rolling to the rim on one side, Swanigan popping to the elbow, and you've got somebody sitting in the corner with Dame or CJ, whoever's operating off the pick and roll, you know, on the wing. That's a lot of threat to deal with because now instead of Noah Vonley or Al Farouk Aminu catching the ball and putting up a shot, which has been successful at points and not others... <laughs> Now you've got a guy who is a multifaceted threat, and this is what I always talk about when we talk about siloed players, one-way, two-way, um, the ability to have more than one threat um, in, your, in your tool set. And if Nurkic adds any kind of real range to his game, now you, you start to put pressure on defenses that you're going to break opposing defenses possession after possession after possession because they can't play you one way. Al Farouk Aminu is a phenomenal defender, but when he puts the ball on the floor, it's a mixed bag. When Caleb Swanigan catches a rebound and pushes the ball up the floor like Draymond Green or Blake Griffin, you're sitting there going, that's a big man running the point forward, and it looks good, and he can create off the bounce? Okay, okay you're not going to go this to a ton. Hold on a sec. That's a lot to Dan. go through. Talk about explosive. You just went from like zero to a thousand <laughs> on Caleb Swanigan. I'm excited about this guy. I'm legitimately excited. I know about you are. And I don't think he's going to be a 2010 guy, but I think he's easily somebody who can come into this league and be there on night one and give you consistent production night in, night out, even if his shot's not falling because of his intangible skills, rebounding, passing, and hustle. Okay, so you've got him in the starting lineup playing like Draymond Green mixed with uh, Blake Griffin. Um, okay, <laughs> not, so. Not playing like them. <laughs> playing the I, same I think you're pretty style. excited about that. Okay, couple of things, couple of things that, I was, that I took out of that. One is I think you're being a little bit hard on Vonley. I wish I had something that's concrete I could say to defend it. I've except for I'll just say this. What? I've, I've looked at the numbers post-All-Star break. It, it's, uh, it's uh, just under 7-7. Seven and seven. Um, Okay, but we don't have... even have any numbers yet on, on Swanigan against NBA players. Just well, I, hold on a sec. Yeah, I, I totally I just... understand, but you're talking we're, – we're, we're, we're cementing Vonley in here as if, like, he's irreplaceable. 
Okay, I'm not cementing Vonley in anywhere. I'm just saying I think that he has done more than just scramble his way up to mediocrity that we've all just accepted, which is kind of like what it sounded like you were saying about him. Um, I'm not saying that he's necessarily our go-to starting power forward. I admit that that is not one of our stronger positions. I agree with you on the one, two, and three. However, I would say at least at the beginning of the season, I think he's going to be starting because you've got, um, I don't, I don't know how I really, I want to see Swanigan playing with Nurkic, but I think we need to have a little bit of stability and continuity. And I think Nurkic and Vonley, the, what they had going, we need to see continued for a little while. And I really like the thought of Swanigan coming in off the bench because I think he brings fantastic energy and I don't want to blow it all on just the starters. Um, but the, yeah, the other part is, is I can't wait to see him play against our veterans. I can't wait to see how Swanigan does slot in against, uh, against Nurkic, but I'm not ready to just like let him start on day well, one. I'm not saying he's I, going to start. I'm saying that, that position is open. If anybody has a, a chance to take it, it's Swanigan. I don't think Alfred Camino starting out there alongside Maurice Harkless is a good thing because I think you're losing too much offensively. And, yes, we need more defense out there, but at some point you have to have more than what Aminu gives you offensively out there. And I, it's kind of weird. And the, the way I've kind of looked at the lineups, I think it's better to have Swanigan with the starting unit out there and then run out – because you, you're asking Swanigan to play center is kind of shown that it, that's not something that's going to work real well. So having him play mm-hmm. alongside Ed Davis really isn't going to work that too well. And I don't think having Swanigan and Ed Davis out there together is maximizing potential as well as you can get it. Um, I, I think they've, they've got guys, especially with, with Myers and Ed, who both – they're not really going to play together too well because of how they move laterally. Um, so having somebody like Vonley, who's a little bit more athletic, who can move his feet, I think that's a better thing to have out there. And the threat of Vonley being an offensive weapon, stepping away from the rim, if anything is going to save him. That's another thing we have to remember is Vonley's contract's coming up too. So if mm-hmm. Vonley's not going to be the answer long term, why not get Swanigan out there? Mm-hmm. So if these guys are yeah. if these guys go into training camp and the story coming out of training camp is Swanigan is just bawling out of control. And Vonley is not going to be in the plans long term. Then then why not move on from him? Uh-huh. That, that that's kind of where my I mean, my, I... my mindset is going is if you if it's even if they're neck and neck or if Vonley's just a smidge above Swanigan. To me in my mind, unless Dame and CJ and the leaders of that team go to Terry Stotts and say, we want Vonley out there, it's his shot, it's his opportunity, then for me, Swanigan's going to be the guy. Mm-hmm. That, that's just how well, I look at it. <laughs> like I said, zero to a thousand. <laughs> um, my, my question, uh, my next question about these two, about Collins and Swanigan, is uh, what kind of um, ceiling floor player comparisons do you have in your mind with other guys in the league, either past or present? So, like, you Swanigan's know, is easy. Who, who's... It's, it's Zach Randolph. It's, he, he plays just like Randolph offensively. Modern day Zach Randolph, old Zach Randolph or younger Zach Randolph. As I was say, modern day Zach Randolph doesn't do. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean... I, I'm, I'm talking his style of game, where modern Zach Randolph can step out and hit a three. Now, modern Zach Randolph okay. can, can hit a free throw line jumper. He plays a more modern style, a, a more modern style of Zach Randolph's game. He and I think his game because he doesn't rely on this, and he has a lot more hustle and bustle about him. He, he has more energy than Zach, I think, ever showed. And that's not a shot at Zach. That's just Swanigan's just, I mean, he's a couple glow sticks short of a race. Then Zach Randolph, sure. I, I got confused. I thought we were talking about Zach Collins for a minute. Yeah, no, 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 so no, no, you, Randolph. Yeah. Swanigan is showing more energy than Zach Randolph did. Yes. I mean, he's just all over the place. But his, his play style, I think, is something that's going to age very well because he doesn't rely on explosive athleticism, which kind of fades over time. As you get older, that stuff starts to fade away. And if you look at Zach Randolph, his game aged really well. I mean, he never relied on being 
faster, quicker, more explosive than anybody else. It was about footwork positioning and doing the work early, particularly on offensive and, uh, on the offensive end and on in rebounding. So those those kind of skills I think are going to be there. Now, Collins probably has a higher ceiling. Um, in that really, point. you think Collins? Yes, I, I you think, think it, Zach Collins has a higher ceiling than Caleb Swanigan, but Col- but a much uh, lower might reach his bis- uh, faster. Okay, exactly. Do, do th- go on. I think Collins is a boomer. That surprises bust. me. Well, Collins, I think is a boomer bust prospect. He's either okay. going to be a very good player, or he is going to be um, Byron Mullins. Exactly. Honestly, I think he's going to be a very, very solid pro um, who's um, out there night in, night out, getting it done. Um, and then he could even come off the bench and be one of the, you know, one of the best bench bigs in the league. And that would be a success for him. You know, there's plenty of guys that have so made what have you what have you seen in him that makes you think that he has a higher ceiling than Swanigan? His, number one, his athleticism. Um, I think he can do okay. more things. Um, he can cover more defensively. Um, he's a much more of a threat defensively as a shot blocker and rim protector, uh, just by length and and height. Um, so he's got and he's got natural instincts um, as a shot blocker. Like he, his timing, okay. he may be slight and uh, lacking in strength right now. Okay. but his instincts and his timing are natural when it comes to blocking okay. shots. Um, I think that he needs to know when to get up and when to stay down. That whole idea of verticality that all bigs really tend to go through or struggle with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, oh, think... I saw him do some really nice seasoned verticality moves in summer league and the, the games that I saw with him. I saw him do some really nice natural moves, but he also had some like over the net volleyball spikes where he brought his <laughs> arms, you know, parallel with the floor and, you know, foul. I mean, this is a guy who fouled a ton in college. If you foul mm-hmm. a ton in college, you're going to foul an awful lot in the NBA. So mm-hmm. those, those things have got to be dealt with. Um, but I, I legitimately think that Olshay saw in him what, you know, I'm, I'm kind of talking about now and that he has the ability to be kind of a, a, a jack of all trades. Um, his shot looks like it's sped up from college. Um, while he definitely didn't shoot well uh, at summer league, mechanically it looks good. And I know people kind of like, oh, great. So we've got another Jake Lehman or Luke Babbitt. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, beautiful shot. Jake Lehman's <laughs> shot should go in every single time. I, I yeah. don't understand how they don't because it looks like he's shooting a ball of cotton every single time. <laughs> it's, it's so soft and smooth. Collins kind of has that kind of release. Um, the the windup is a, little, is a little funky, but nothing too crazy. We're not looking at Lonzo Ball. Um, I saw him put the ball on the floor and look capable. Um, so that was there, and if that's able to develop. And being around guys like Swanigan, Nurkic, um, CJ Dame, guys who like to create and, and play and pass off of each other, um, if being in that environment, and heck, even Myers. Myers is a great passer. Um, being around those guys and understanding the system and and – being a facilitator from the high post or the low post, um, perhaps he could really get a lot in his game. He may not ever so, be fantastic at one particular thing, but he's the kind of player who, if developed well enough, he could have little to no weaknesses in his game that you can exploit night in, night out. He could be really solid on a whole bunch of things. Exactly, and those kind of players are invaluable. I mean, just imagine a guy like Enos Cantor. If Enos Cantor played defense... Uh huh. I mean, or uh, if Stephen Adams could step away from the rim and hit a shot. Look at look at Rudy Gobert. Um, right. Uh, the Rudy Gobert was kind of the one that I was wondering if you uh, or even okay. We're and we're talking like you know dream ceiling comparisons. Yeah. So like I was wondering Rudy Gobert or maybe like Hassan Whiteside. Uh, both Gobert is extremely long. I mean. Yeah. NBA combine. Zach's arms aren't as nearly as long. Zach's no. arms are like a, an inch longer than he is tall, which is still long, but it's not freakish. It's not, you know, I mean, he's got, he's got a really long. nice reach, um, but it's still nowhere uh-huh. near Gobert. Gobert has, I think you could take, and I, I hate to use these all-star type comps, but they're, they're what's familiar in people's heads. And it's the same thing I was We're doing with Swanigan. Um, I think he's got natural instincts like, um, Whiteside and like Gobert, but not to that extent. 
but I think he moves more fluidly than either one of those guys. I think he can cover, I mean, Hassan Whiteside doesn't cover a pick and roll to save his life. Uh-huh. I mean, it's, 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 it's atrocious. Gobert covers a lot of ground because of how long his legs are and how long his arms are and how much the, uh-huh. the square footage that his size covers allows him to be a little slower footed. So I think he's, he moves his feet better than either one of those guys. And defensively, he may, he's not nearly as explosive as Whiteside. Whiteside can jump out of the gym. But I think he's a guy that could be in that vein defensively who could really, really bother a ton of people, especially if he's got that kind of chip on his shoulder nastiness that we've heard talked mm-hmm. about so much. Um, mm-hmm. But again, I think he, he'll be a, a jack-of-all-trades master of none. Um, uh-huh. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, if he gets to that point where he can be that guy along the line where he can step back and, and hit a three every now and then, he can block some shots, he can rebound, he can pass, he can put the ball on the floor. Let's say he gets a mismatch and gets a a, a big slow-footed center on him, you know, up above the free throw line, and he can put the ball on the floor and two dribble and get to the rim. I mean, we're not saying he needs to be able to do all these things every single night, but if you get these little things across the line and you can't attack him defensively in a mismatch because he moves his feet so well, you can't kill him in the post because he's got great shot-blocking mechanics and and instincts, then he becomes a very, very valuable tool in that it doesn't really matter who you play alongside him, he will fit. And a lot of times when you're looking at, at player acquisition, you're trying to figure out how does this guy fit with my team? Well, if you've got somebody who fits with no matter who you put out there, that's a hell of an asset to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, an interesting way to look at it. Well, we've eaten up most of our time talking about just two players. <laughs> I want to hit on Jake Lehman and uh, Pat Connaughton before we go. Ooh. So, again, <sighs> poor, poor Pat. Pat. Oh, that was hard heartbreaking to watch him go down with an injury. I under, I don't think we've heard that it's like a, a bad injury or anything, but it was just, he was struggling on offense. He was doing that thing, which he does, which he was acting like a leader on the court. Everybody was watching him and doing what he was saying, but he wasn't putting it in the bucket. And, uh, and Pat's then for him to go down to with live. injury, that was tough. Yeah, Pat's got about what? a week to live right now. July 25th, I yeah. believe is his, yeah. is his contract date. So, um, yeah. I don't don't know that he really showed um, that he's more valuable than other players that I don't think Portland's looking to add. We have a limited number. Yeah, Yeah. I don't think Portland's looking to add anybody else. And there's certain things about Pat Connaughton that I absolutely which means we have one extra guy. Yeah, (laughs) there 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 are things about him that I absolutely love, and and you've heard it echoed by Stotts, Olshay, and and his teammates, in that he's a leader. He's Mm -hmm. he's what I, I term a leader of men. There are very, very mm-hmm. few guys that have that ability to unquestionably be the man that everybody looks at mm-hmm. when, when he's on the floor. Um, the, the problem is... I'm not going to have you like you know go on about being a leader of men. I'm, I'm going to just let that sit for a minute. Uh, <laughs> what I'm looking at... I don't want to interrupt the flow of the discussion, <laughs> but just I noticed. What, what I'm looking at when he's out there is his ability to, to knock down a shot and to dictate or to, to direct an offense. He has those mm-hmm. abilities and to not really see it just be consistent and to, then to have the injury, normally I'd be like, man, that really sucks for the guy. He's probably not going to make it. And if they, if let's say that, that, that Neil O'Shea you know, doesn't guarantee his contract, Normally, I'm sitting there like, man, I hope he catches on somewhere. With Pat, all I'm thinking is, man, Pat, go get that money. Go use yeah, that 97-mile-an-hour sure. fastball. Go, go to the Orioles and do your thing. Because yeah. he, he's got a, another skill that's, that's highly he's in demand. He's a bright future. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, when you're popping 97 on the gun, um, if you're anywhere near yeah. the strike zone, you're going to go make some money. Um, well, and from what I've read, you know, the, one of the things that they like about him in baseball, too, are those leadership skills that, that we're both talking about. It's, a, it's an aura. It's how he carries himself. Mm-hmm. It's how he conducts himself. Um, and, and Damian Lillard is, is, a, is an unquestioned leader, but I think that there's – and not that Dame doesn't have it. It's just there's certain people – it's not always the best player on a team. It's, it's a leadership characteristic that, you know, in the military, you know, I, I had a lieutenant who – you know, he'd been around forever. He was a prior enlisted guy. And 
no matter what was going on, what was he was always somebody you looked to as the guy, unquestionably. There were people that outranked him. There were people that had more experience than him, uh, uh, more uh, education than him. But no matter what, he was the guy. He set the tone. He he was always the one. I think Pat has some of that in him. And I, I know it sounds kind of overboard, but it just this is the way I've heard other people talk about him. You're just glowingly talking about everybody tonight, Dan. No, it's, it's, I'm trying to turn to the nicer, kinder Dan. I don't know. Let me get, <laughs> let me get through August, and I'll probably want to burn all this. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a new season, Game of Thrones, so it's a new Dan. So um, I honestly think that he, he's got some of that in him. And that's not to say that's I mean, there are certainly negatives. Um, he doesn't move his feet very well laterally. Um, defensively, he can be exposed. His handle's a little bit loose. Um, can't make a shot reliably. Yeah, and, and the thing is, important like, in this, basketball. this was a guy that shot, you know, 45% from three in college. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, we're yeah. not talking about like limited sample size. This is a guy that just absolutely stroked at Notre Dame. Um, so, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I, honestly, I hope that, that Olshay keeps him because I don't think there's anything else they're going to do with that roster spot. But, you know, I think it's 1.2 or $1.3 million guarantee that's going to end up costing Portland like near $4 million. Um, when you're talking about luxury tax by the end of the season. Well, if if they keep him, that makes it – I mean, we can't keep – I mean, that'll put us at 16, No, right? that'll, that'll put us at 15. He's the 15th man. So Azili is gone. Azili's been, been stretched, is, correct? Right, right. So doesn't that put us at 14? And then you add uh, Zach Collins and Caleb Swanigan to put us at 16? Uh, we lost somebody else in there too. Um, I'm totally blanking. Yes, yeah, so am I. <laughs> but yeah, no, he, he is 15. Um, and, and looking at the numbers, so he, he he still has a chance to 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 make it through. Uh, as for Jake Lehman, I mean, I talked about it earlier. I don't think there's anybody really in the league that has a a, a, a more pure shot other than maybe JJ Redick. I mean, both those guys shoot the ball, and you're thinking it's going in every single time. And the thing is, like, you mean just because it's technically so perfect? Yes, I mean everything about it, okay. from catch to set to dip and release, everything about it. I mean, if you're going to show kids how to shoot a textbook jumper, those two guys should get together and make an instructional video. I mean, it's <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic. The rotation on the ball, the release point. I mean, some people shoot on their way when they're coming down or when they're going up and not at the top. They've got a funky release or they pull it across the side of their head like Lonzo or they put a weird spin on the ball. There's all these different things. Jake Lehman shot every single time when he releases it. It looks like it's going in. And I've seen him do it coming off screens, catching running to his left, catching running to his right, uh, dribble pull-ups. I mean, every single time. His feet could be doing all kinds of weird things. But like uh, Dirk, everything about Dirk's shot looks goofy until the very end. The release <laughs> is always nice. It is because he's put tens of thousands of hours into practice, and everything below that, you know, below that release point is all, you know, for him, but the release is always money. The same with Lehman. Everything can be going on. That release is always just butter, and when it doesn't fall, you're sitting there just going, how did that not go in? And mm-hmm. He did do some things outside that because everybody wants to think of Jake Lamb in the three-point shooter. Jake reminds me of Batum with the way that he moves. And I think a lot of people forget mm-hmm. that Jake is nearly six foot ten. Jake's a yeah. big dude. So when yeah. you see him put the ball on the floor and glide from the three-point line to the rim or cut baseline in two steps and dunk. Oh, his dunks are fun. Yeah, he's person, got, I mean, he's I, got bounce. I know it's just summer league, but those are awfully fun. I mean, and it's and not fun. just his, his jumping ability or his leaping ability. It's it's that, that glide, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the Scotty Pippen, Nick Batum, just effortless kind of glide. Layman has that, right? I mean, you saw it in person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Tell me about his defense. Oh, you know what? It's Tim Quarterman is the other guy. There you go. That's Quarterman who, was lost that's in the who trade. else is gone. Perfect. That was going to drive me crazy. <laughs> okay, back to Jake, D, Jake, Jake Lehman's defense. He, he did um, some things. He, he covered ground really well. There were times he was playing power forward and center with getting mm-hmm. mismatched, and he held his ground. Um, mm-hmm. The Celtics game, he was matched up on uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Yeah. And did, he drove Tatum crazy. He mm-hmm. absolutely drove Tatum crazy. And Tatum had a good game, but when he was matched up against Lehman and the few times I actually saw him matched up against Swanigan, 
Um, Tatum struggled. Uh, uh-huh. uh, Swanigan was able to push him around, and Lehman, being so long um, and moving his feet really well, was able to contest and, and bother Tatum, who, we, he, if it wasn't for Lonzo, probably would have been the story of Summer League. I mean, Tatum was balling out of control to, to start all this. Um, so defensively, I think he showed quite a bit. He blocked actually quite a few shots both at the rim and contesting jumpers. So it was it was pretty impressive from what I saw from him. The, the one thing, though, I think what, what's going to keep him in the NBA, though, isn't his ability to play defense or um, move around defensively or offensively and, and be a free cutter. It's the knockdown threes. I mean, if you mm-hmm. want to stay in the league nowadays, yeah. you've got to be able to do that if, if you're playing his position. And there are times, like the championship game, I think he shot five of eight from three. He was just canning. If he can be that 38, 40% three-point shooter, then he can be in the NBA for 10 years. So, you know, I, I hope for his sake uh, and for Portland, because really Portland needs a consistent three-point shooter coming off the bench. Everyone's talking about Alan Crabb, but I, I want somebody else out there who's going to be able to knock down a shot because you have Harkless, who's a subpar three-point shooter. Turner's a subpar three-point shooter. Aminu's a subpar three-point shooter. You don't know what you're going to get from Collins. You don't know what you're going to get from Myers. I mean, there's a lot of guys on this roster outside of Dame, CJ, and Crabb who aren't exactly threats from beyond the arc. So if you can get mm-hmm. one more guy out there who, even if he's a fringe rotation player, you throw him out there for a few minutes just to get, you know, change the look of a defense because – now they have to worry about one more guy or he's getting wide open shots. So for him, I hope that his confidence level comes out of summer league and he's, he's much more free to play the way that he wants to and needs to play going forward. Do you think he's going to get minutes? You know, the, the question that was asked to me on Twitter is who gets more minutes, Collins or Lehman? Uh, pretty much everybody responded with Lehman. I, I think mm-hmm. Lehman's going to get – I think if anything, we don't talk about, you know, the, the, the consolidation trade. We've been talking about that for years. Um, if uh-huh. one of those trades happen, I think Lehman is going to be a beneficiary of that. Because right now, you could play him as a stretch four um, in certain lineups, but more, more likely he's going to be the three. And I don't see many minutes at the three right now between Harkless and Aminu kind of being cycled through there and Evan Turner. Because you've got to find minutes for Turner, Crab, Harkless, and Aminu. Those four guys are going to occupy the two and three. That's, that's four uh-huh. guys for those those two spots. Then you throw in CJ, who's going to get the bulk of the minutes at the two, and then some at the one. So getting in that, he's going to have to show um, that he's going to get out there. I, I think he'll be a rotation player if Stotts is nine or ten deep. And I think early in uh-huh. the season, Stotts may do that. And you never know. I mean, somebody goes down with an injury, you know, you roll an ankle and you're out for a couple games, and uh, like Maurice Harkless. Harkless, that's how he came in. I mean, if, uh-huh. if it wasn't for an injury, we would have never seen him two years ago. I mean, uh-huh. he just wasn't out on the floor. So if Harkless, <coughs> excuse me, if Harkless gets a little nick or Aminu gets a little nick or Turner gets a little nick, um, then you maybe you'll see a little bit more Lehman. And we saw Stotts do that a couple times towards the end of last year um, where Lehman was out there a little bit more. Um, do I think long-term he's going to factor in a ton for Portland? No. But I'm not going to discount a guy who's got a shot that's that pure. Yeah. Well, we are pretty much up against time. There's, I'm coming at, kind of afraid to bring it up because I'm afraid it might take us on for a long time. So I don't know if you want to talk about the mellow drama right now or this you want to wait until no, next week no, and see if an anything has happened. One, this is an easy one to tackle for me. If we're talking about Portland making a trade where they're getting rid of one of the quote-unquote bad contracts, Evan Turner, Alan Crabb, Myers Leonard, I don't think Maurice Harkless is a bad contract, and I don't think Myers Leonard's contract is that bad. If we're talking about Crabb or Turner, one of those two guys going out, and the one that you get back is Carmelo Anthony, uh-huh. you do it. If for nothing else, the season's going to be a blast. It's going to either uh-huh. go up in flames or they're going to drop a buck 30 a night. <laughs> Either way, it's going to be fun to watch. So, and then, and then you want to talk about salary implications. If Melo opts out, then you've got your salary dump. This isn't like, and yeah. the, I've heard people that, that, that poo-poo this. That's the second time I've said that. God, that's weird. Um, <laughs> people want to say no to Melo, and then they want to say yes to Ryan Anderson. That, to me, just boggles my mind. 
You want to tie yourself because up Mello, with a... we would be out from under his contract after one year, most likely because he wouldn't uh, ostensibly he wouldn't uh, take that last year. And then with but with Ryan Anderson, there's still three, three years, years left, two 20... two or three years left. So we wouldn't really be trading anything but personnel. There would be no difference in trades, and it would yeah. be another like really big one. I mean, you're, you're talking about a contract bigger. Everybody wants to complain mm-hmm. about Evan Turner's contract, and and rightfully so. We're talking about Ryan Anderson, who's making upwards of twenty-one and twenty-two million. Yeah, he's making way in his more. second, third year. <laughs> I mean, that's that's crazy. That's absolutely mm-hmm. batty. You want to add that to this? You want to add another one-way injured player to this roster? People want to say, "Oh, Carmelo's not worth this. He's not that. He's a twenty-two, twenty-three point a night guy. Oh, his defense sucks. Blah blah blah." I pulled the numbers on Synergy and put them up on Twitter the other day. Even for that dumpster fire of a franchise, his defensive numbers are better than nearly everyone on Portland, save Aminu and Arkless. Hmm. So what's the narrative that that people want to run with? That he's not a defender, that the numbers don't matter, that he didn't care? Well, if he didn't care and all of a sudden he comes here and he plays like he does care, does that make it worth it all of a sudden? I I, I don't know. To me, I, I don't see a loss for Portland if Carmelo came here. Well, I see it as so unlikely that I haven't oh, yeah. even really thought about it. No, it's crazy. It's absolutely <laughs> I have crazy. A, I have a litmus test for the types of trades that the player, that the, tra- the trailblazers will get involved in. The things that I measure by are, have I heard of, did I hear of the player before 2014? Yeah. And um, like, uh, and the other, the other part of that is um, like, well, that's pretty much the main part. <laughs> I heard about it before yeah, 2014, no. and also it's never the one we think it's going to be. Like it's never like any any rumor that ever comes out about a blazer trade. It's always something completely. We're always looking completely in the wrong direction. So if you had to guess who this is a smokescreen for, like what what wild stab would you oh, take? No, this, this at, is, this like, is who shape, might come? This is Olshay PRing this. So when he ultimately takes mm-hmm. back Ryan Anderson. It's going to be, hey, no, we swung for the fence. It's but not going to be deal... Ryan Anderson. I heard about him before 2014. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I think this is the smoke screen. If the deal goes down, it's going to be Ryan Anderson, but it's not going to be just Ryan Anderson. I think it's going to involve more parts, and I think either coming from New York or coming from Houston. Um, and I don't Portland think it's necessarily going to, get... going to be who we're talking about either on our end. Um, from what I've heard, basically everyone is available except for Dame, CJ, and Nurkic. So uh-huh. with the exception of, the but rookies. everyone's talking about a lot of people are saying it's got to be, uh, Myers. Um, well, and Crabber then, Myers has to be a part of this to make room for the salary to make it work. Yeah. So, but then you, they have to add either a small salary or a, a very small salary or a large salary and then take more people. And, um, exactly. but anyway, I've been hearing, I've been hearing, uh, Myers and I don't, I think that if there was a trade, it, it won't be Myers. I think that, um, I think it would be more likely, and everybody will not like this, but um, it, that it would be Harkless. Um, just Harkless because, is the value. I mean, he's a value in that contract. Well, just because it's Meyer's name that keeps coming up, and that always makes me think, ah, whoever's name's coming up the most, that's not who it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably not wrong. And, and realistically, I don't I, – I would probably say it's – there's a 55% chance of something actually happening because there's just so much smoke here. Between Houston, Portland, and New York, um, I was I did a thing on Twitter the other day where I was like waiting on the melodrama is like or you know waiting for Car- the Carmelo situation to resolve itself is like what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what no, it, what things do you wait on? <laughs> it reminded me of like I was like fairly late with my second child. I was like five days late. And that's what it reminds me of. It's just like, Oh my God, already let's just have this baby and just move on. We have a life to live. <laughs> like oh. nothing can happen until this baby comes. Maybe that's, that's where I get to my patience from. Cause my, I was, a, I was a month late with my mom. So, uh, Oh my gosh. Dan. Yeah. Yeah, poor woman. I know. Right? Well, that's what—that's about where Mello is right now. I mean, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, and, and honestly for both, Portland, well, not both, but Portland, Houston, and, and New York, I think that resolution sooner rather than later is a good thing. So you can just kind of look forward towards the season, get settled, get moved, get whatever you've done you need done. Because the last thing you want to do is, is try to, you know, hammer this thing out and have it done, you know, as you go into training camp. 
Plus, it gives me something mm-hmm. to talk about during August, and Lord knows we need something to talk about during August. Oh, don't worry, Dan. I got lots of things to talk about <laughs> over the, the next several weeks. I got lots of questions. I got lots of things. There's there's a lot of a lot of statistics and analytics that people throw around, and I really want to kind of dig into them and understand what they mean. And so I'm looking forward to talking to you about uh, about some of those. Oh boy, and also listeners. No, it won't be boring. It'll be interesting. <laughs> but I would say listeners, if they have things that they want to learn about over the over the next several weeks, let us know. Like, you know, hit us up on Twitter and say, I'm, I'm always wondering about value over replacement player. Is that really a useful statistic? What's the best way to use it? How do you do that? And I know it might not sound very exciting. I think this stuff is really interesting and we can make a go of it. I believe in it. No, it's a really good idea to, to, to get a frame of reference and understand what these statistics or what they're gathering, what they're putting together. Um, and what they're realistically measuring and how well of a metric they can really be. Because you can chart and plot, and I've done this stuff before, and if, I've used it in, in some feature articles, of, of how this stuff does or doesn't impact um, the actual or the theoretical idea of, of what these statistics actually mean. Because there, there can mm-hmm. be outliers among anything, and those are usually the things that people hold on to the most. But I, honestly, right. I, I don't say come it's, at it's, me with your plus minuses after one player has a bad game. Oh, that is my biggest pet peeve. I cannot stand I, the plus I, I minus. I'm trying to embrace to it. People. I hate it. No, it's, well, it's, it gets it's me every time. Evan Turner was negative 497 in this game. Like, ah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's 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 fun when you start really diving into a lot of the metrics, and it's for somebody like me who's a complete math nerd. Um, actually, understanding and looking at the formulas and what they're really trying to put together—that's um, that's really cool. So, um, for for class, everybody who, who wants some some reading, go read uh, <laughs> Bill James's book. Uh, do do some Moneyball reading, and understand that you know where these metrics come from and what kind of kickstarted it. And then go read Dean Oliver's uh, Basketball on Paper because those those are your, those are your, those are your homework primer. <laughs> All right, okay, Professor. Well, <laughs> even though the the basketball is over for a while, and we're just looking forward to that NBA Africa game, so we can watch a game again, and then we're going to have our uh, break until uh, preseason starts. There is going to be plenty to talk about if people want to hop on over to BlazersEdge.com to find out uh, to read a bunch of. Uh, interesting article see what the writers are coming up with over the summer relive some of the highlights of the uh of of summer league also uh let us know on twitter about things that you want to hear more about dan you want to tell people how to find you yep you can find me on twitter at d meringue it's at d-m-a-r-a-n-g um my dms are open uh, if, if, if you don't want to put it out there, what you want to talk about or what you want to ask, or you just want to ask me a question privately or, or whatever, um, I'm, I'm pretty responsive on Twitter. So uh, I, I love engaging in anything we can get from you guys that is something you want to hear us talk about or discuss or throw a question out that, that our trade proposal, whatever. Um, go to, Absolutely. Go ahead and reach out, and uh, we'll see what we can do. Just don't come at me with your plus-minus numbers. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, for Dan Morang, this is Tara. Thanks for listening to the Blazers Edge podcast. We will catch you next week.